Domino, Domino, only spot a few blacks to hang out Domino, Domino, only spot a few blacks to hang out Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Robert Stevens, and this is the Black Work Experience Podcast. As you may know, I started this podcast because I was tired of being the only black male or one of the few black people at my organization. This can be crazy. I was constantly called upon to speak for the black experience or expected to do the emotional labor after blatantly racist things occurred. This is heavy and it left me feeling fragile, unappreciated and in need of a change. I began to ask my friends if they ever experienced being the one or one of the few people of color at their job and the impact it had upon them. We discussed what it felt like to experience microaggressions and not have a friend or ally to lean on. Balancing the thin line between needing your coins and not being tokenized is never easy. But guess what? You have us now, and we will always have your back. The Black Work Experience explores the intersection between race, class, and privilege in America and in the workplace. We tell the stories of those who paved and are currently paving the way. As people of color gain more institutional, political, and economic power, we often find ourselves surrounded by people who don't look like us, talk like us, or think like us. This podcast discusses what it's like to walk in the shoes of those and share their experiences. However, a lot of Black people experience microaggressions on a daily, and we need an outlet. This is your outlet. You are not alone. This podcast is for all people but we focus heavily on black people. I want you to know that you're not the only one experiencing microaggressions, otherness at work, or loneliness. If you identify with majority culture, listen to the podcast. Think about what you can do to help your black colleagues when your coworker talks over them, runs to the manager instead of talking to them and having a difficult conversation or cause them intimidated. Guess what time it is? You guessed it, it's mail time. We had a lot of submissions for mail time this week. We ask you to please keep them coming. This submission I'm going to keep anonymous because it's pretty sensitive. A teacher in Orlando literally had a sixth grade black girl student arrested for assault because she brushed her shoulders against her while walking past her. No injuries or subsequent pain. But since the core member received it as a threat, the girl was arrested. The teacher not only laughed about it openly to my black face, the teacher continually promoted, was, was continually promoted and gave her a platform to be a leader. And yes, now she is a leader in the education movement. To literally be a part of an organization that fights for gaps and justice to be closed through equitable education and leadership, but then simultaneously fail a literal 12 year old 90 pound girl that you claim to be serving the most caring thing on the planet. I'm not done though. To this day, I hope this teacher has learned from it. How this is not reminiscent of the same violence that white women have been enacting towards black children since day one, i.e. Emmett Till, Tamir Rice. How is this even laughable? It haunts me to this day to know that she could literally be the reason why this precious life was forever set on a path towards destruction when she had all the power and privilege to make it right. I really wish this organization would stop giving Karens a platform where they find the destruction of black lives to be a laughing matter. You all, 
you heard this. Um, this is showing how education rears its ugly head, how systemic racism, how power rears its head in education. And we know anyone who deals in education or if you have a kid, you know that a lot of times or if you're familiar with the facts, you can tell that a lot of students are being arrested, not outside of school, but more students are being arrested out of school than at any time um, in, in, in the past. And this is a problem. And what we're seeing here is how, like I said, systemic racism, how it appears in education. Education is a system. All of the systems, systemic racism and oppression, they rear their, they rear their head through the system. And we got to do something to change it. Yeah, I'm super excited. We got my main man, 10 grand, white, Mayor White of Ahoski, North Carolina. Um, I mean, this this gentleman needs no introduction. If you know me, you, you've listened to me, you follow me. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen me, you've seen pictures with him. We've been down since two, like two flats since freshman year at Winston-Salem State University. My line brother, my good guy. I don't even know what else to say, man. I'm, I'm so proud of you. So honored to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Waylene White. Thank, thank you, brother. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Um, this is an amazing podcast. Glad to see what you're doing, man. So I'm just, I'm excited to be here. Man, the pleasure, the pleasure is all mine. The pleasure is all mine. So let's let's get into it. Waylene, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you, um, how you got here, what you do, um, who you are, where you from. Give us the intro. Of all intros, talk to us, brother. Okay, okay. So, so again, Wayling White, uh, mayor of Ahoski, born and raised here in in Ahoski, North Carolina, northeastern North Carolina. Um, very rural. Went to high school here. Uh, went to went to Salem State, where I met you, good brother, and and, yeah. and the other good brothers as well. Um, and I, you know, I want to say that. I think you can relate to this as well. My time in Winston-Salem State really uh, definitely um, shaped me into the man that I am now and um, helped me and impacted me in, in, a, in a wonderful way to where I was able to to come back here and and put my talents to, to serve the betterment of my community. So um, grew up here, born and raised, and always wanted to, in some type of capacity, uh, build on my community. You know, when I was here, there wasn't a lot to do. We were struggling with a lot of gang violence and things of that nature, um, poor health outcomes. And so going away and coming back, you know, I, I was in whatever capacity I was going to be in. I know I wanted to lend a helping hand to my community. And so um, that's where I, I'm in the position I'm in now as mayor of Ahoski and also uh, practice administrator at our local uh, health care health center. Um, and so in those capacities, you know, I'm all about the people building up my community and doing what I can to move us forward. Absolutely. So, man, that's dope. That's amazing. Mayor, so we didn't even, you You broke the news. You broke the news. You broke the news. So we want to talk a little bit about Waylene, and, and the cat is out the bag. A lot of people already know this, but if you don't, Waylene was the first, the very first African-American, first person of color, period, mm -hmm. not African-American, but person mm -hmm. of color, period, to be mayor of his city um a husky was founded when in the 17 or 1800s 1800s it was founded in the 1800s so for the past you know 200 plus years they've never had a person of color uh be the mayor of the city a hey wayling broke that color barrier he broke that glass ceiling so um, I don't have I don't have sound effects, but if I did, I would drop a a bomb. I'd drop some clapping heads in here. Oh, 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 oh. 
around, but shout out to shout out to you for that. That's that's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about your racial identity, man. How has your racial identity impacted your professional career? You work in healthcare. You're the mayor of a city. Like, what has it been like navigating that journey as a black man? Man, uh, it's 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 definitely been eye opening. Um, again, I, I, I'm gonna shout out Winston Salem State, man. Going going to the HBCU. And like coming from here, we I could say of course growing up in the hood, man, we really didn't value um, education and being professional and things of that nature. And so uh, being around uh, you know people like you, other young black men, and um, impacted me. To, you know, it showed me how we can how we can maneuver, how we can be in these professional settings, still stay true to ourselves and our culture, and not have to uh jeopardize ourselves in those type of settings so um coming back here especially in, you know northeastern north carolina everybody knows that we we, we struggle to the day with certain uh racisms and uh, systemic racism here and a lot of it is 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 really ignored it's accepted it's been the way that it's been going for so long that people don't even realize it's an issue here so in in the professional settings here that's been i've dealt with racism a lot um and as a millennial you know i i think i speak for our entire generation that we don't we don't play that <laughs> you know um you can see that's the, a fact. The of that nature you know we nah, we we not we not with that so um so i i work hard call it out there's been a lot of um you know in the past opportunities that have come to the forefront to where i've been um you know I, that I, I would just be away from just because i was a minority so perfect example um beyond have years of experience i was a ceo at the age of 22 years old and i joined a company and was told i couldn't even be a site manager i didn't have enough experience two weeks later i'm working with the, the person that they hired and they said they didn't even have experience in healthcare. they was in retail um and so it's, it's little things like that that moving back out out it will quickly quickly snap me into reality like man okay you back in you back home this is what happens this is what goes on um but now we had a new day to where you know equity is at the forefront uh it was definitely it's definitely been ignored here for a long time um but we've been doing all we can to bring this to the forefront in in organizations and in the town so it's it's a huge struggle. Um, sometimes, you know, you feel like you're alone fighting this battle. A high ski is is about 70% African-American. And, you know, people say, well, how do you feel being the first African-American mayor? You know, this town has been 70% um, black for I don't know how long. And so I, I'm kind of, it's kind of frustrating knowing I'm the first black. Like we should have had this done a long time ago. You know, why? in 2019 was the first african-american male uh first you know first minority being in this position like that's a bigger issue that we need to that we need to address so for sure um struggle but you know the, the fight is worth fighting and um and it's just you know i'm up to the task i know you are man i i, I know you are i think you know like i said we go back we we go back. Waylene and I have been in some battles together. We we we've done a lot of things together. So I think back. How do you think you've been prepared throughout your leadership journeys? Uh, you know, you were the 
you were the president of the frat in school when we were uh in, in undergrad you know you had a you ran a small business you know so how do you think you've been prepared as a black man um to step into leadership do you you spoke about winston-salem state university and like the impact that it had upon you and your development what are you what other parts do you think have been like instrumental in your development and as a leader as a black man in, in your leadership um I would say two things. One being uh, surrounding myself with like-minded individuals. Um, anybody hears your podcast and know the, the, the type of person you are and um, the drive and, and uh, the level of commitment you put towards your projects. And, and you know, surrounding myself with like, like-minded individuals that are moving in those directions and, you know, because iron sharpens iron. So mm-hmm. having myself around is it has definitely helped me, definitely molded me throughout these years. Um, and I would say uh, authenticity, you know, um, being authentic, mm-hmm. uh, staying true, and um, not taking no for an answer. You know, you sure, yeah, it, you know, I've been in plenty of positions where, um, you know, we we've, uh, you know, you get taken around in circles and um, your vision that you have for yourself and for your life can, can be altered, but as long as, you know, um, staying the course and staying committed, um, you know, that has, that has definitely worked well for me in the past. And that's what you got to do. I think one thing that's super important that we tell, I tell my daughters, I tell everyone never, ever, ever accept a no from someone who doesn't have the power to give you yes. Right. And I think like that's, that's real. When you say stay committed and people going to get in your way. They're going to tell you no all the time, but don't accept those no's. So this is this is something I always think about. Like you have the unfortunate privilege of being the mayor of a city and also being a healthcare administrator working in healthcare during the time of COVID. How have you managed that as a healthcare administrator as well as the mayor of the city trying to keep your people safe? Like what have you done and how are you attacking COVID knowing that it is disproportionately killing black and brown people due to a variety of different circumstances? What have you done? How have you addressed it? Well, when I get asked this question a lot, I, I, I kind of joke because I feel like I got bad luck because this is my first time going to politics and working in healthcare full time. It's like, who else would this happen to their first time? A whole pandemic hits the, you know, hits the world. Um, but I think that it's 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 been hard work on on the healthcare, um, you know, working full time, making sure that our our patients and our staff is is being safe, is well taken care of, and um, the level of work that is going um, that is been going on behind the scenes in these healthcare settings is you know it's resulted in a lot of a lot of burnout for staff. I've actually worked on the front lines with my staff um, from the, the clinical department to the administrative. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing what they need to do. And then you take home um, the worry of if you have been exposed or been infected. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you're always trying to protect yourself and protect your family. And, um, and so it's a lot of uh, emotional draining, physical draining that's been going on these past couple of months. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely been a struggle. And so I commend, you know, everybody that is, um, that, you know, goes, goes to work, especially in the healthcare setting, because it's definitely scary. It's very scary. Um, and I think that, uh, seeing 
on the, you know, from day to day, seeing it firsthand uh, really fuels the fire for me uh, when I'm in these meetings and as mayor, just to make sure that uh, we're doing all we can to help the city and to help mm. the town. So um, some of the things that I've been able to do was to, is to um, gather more PPE, mm-hmm. our people. Uh, what I've seen, what we've been doing recently, we have a lot of people here that have been um, not able to get out to get food, to go to grocery stores. So they've been uh, taking advantage of our food banks with our local churches. So we've, and the way it's set up, they have vehicles. They're able to pull up, open their trunk. There's no interaction between um, volunteers and, and uh, people in the community, put the food in their trunk. And so what we've been doing are these the, the, the particular spaces where you want to provide the free PPE. I don't want nobody in the community to be able to go without a mask, especially with the, the mask mandate and not being able to protect themselves. So we've been providing free PPE kits to mm-hmm. food banks just so that we can make sure that everybody leaves with gloves, with sanitizer um, and masks to make sure that they, they them and their family is being safe um, when they have to go out within the public. So, um, you know, I know it's a, a lot of debate about masks and things of that nature, but uh, seeing the effect that it's had on patients, on our practice, on on staff, um, it's definitely not something that I'm taking lightly and that our town isn't taking lightly. And um, it's, it's been extremely helpful. I think it's, I kind of joked about it in the, in the beginning about, you know, me being having bad luck, but it's been a huge blessing for me to be in healthcare and in the, the seat as mayor um, because I have the stories, I have the firsthand examples and experiences to back up the data that we're seeing. So when we see, okay, our uh, active cases is increasing, we're seeing a trend in the county. Um, I'm seeing it firsthand with the number of patients and the number of appointments and tests that we're getting. So for sure. Yeah. So I'm seeing the firsthand data and the firsthand experience and, um, it's helping me to, to make implementations and make decisions, um, based on what I'm seeing regarding. Yeah. Now I think that's, I think that's, it's a blessing. It's definitely a blessing because you know, you know what you all stand in need of, and you can literally go from your full-time job at work and implement solutions to create change as the mayor. So like that is a very, uh, it's a a very privileged and powerful place to be in. So, you know, you're on the Black Work Experience podcast. You know, we talk about being black at work. We talk about racism. We talk about microaggressions uh, and just like how how it shows itself. I've known you for years, and so I've seen how how you've handled yourself throughout a variety of circumstances and situations. I want to know, like, what what has Wayleen experienced? I'm talking about in terms of in terms of life and racism. How have you seen it show up in your workplace? Like, how what what situations have you dealt with that really give you pause? How have you addressed racism or seen it on the workplace as a black man? I know you gave us a little bit of experience when you were talking about the CEO position uh, or the individual said you didn't have the experience and the person they hired, you know, came in with no experience in healthcare was in retail. But talk to us, like what other experiences have you had with racism and microaggressions at work? Um, I think, man, it's, it's been so many, uh, so many things that I've, I've heard and I've seen, um, you know, I, I've heard different individuals and this was in 2017 uh be talking about the community and talking about black people and, and use the word color 
and mm -hmm. colored. Oh wow. Yeah, it was like, you know, well, we can't do this because um, you know, the color. And when I heard this, I was looking around like, okay, so I know they're talking about an object because they cannot be talking about my people. Um, so when we, we hear things like that now, it's and the other thing too about being a, a black man in these workspaces um is how you come across. Because any little thing when when you this have a disagreement, it seems like the whole, I know you can relate to this, the whole room stops and all of the attention is on you. You got to really yes. monitor your tone, monitor your facial expressions. Um, because you, what I want to convey and come across, I want it to be accepted. I want it to be heard, not, uh, not out of the place of fear, but out of, um, in insight. Like I want to be able to, to, to be to be heard in a way that can be um can, can be receptive and be thought about in, in a in a good manner so, mm -hmm. so instead of you know coming coming across angry or aggressive uh i look for it i look now to policy and to changes um on the back end so when that happened um you know we didn't get into a whole debate we didn't get into an argument but we did some work around equity and we have mm -hmm. to make sure that people like that aren't given the space to be able to say things like that in a setting where people can be offended and to show their true color. So we have to go around. We have to go about things a lot differently now. Um, there has been a lot of uh, discussions about other minority groups. Just because I'm black, I'm not going to agree when it comes to Hispanics around, you know, walls being built and things of that nature. Mm hmm. Um, so walls being built, things Hispanics, things of that nature. You have you and and what else have you seen? Like so, you saying in in eastern part of North Carolina or some other areas and some that you worked in, you've seen that like people talking about like we're going to build the wall because we can be honest, right? Like North Carolina is is the South, and North Carolina is the South in a way that is that is that is overt, right? Like you feel there are sometimes there are some things that happen, some places in this state that you feel that you are really and truly in the South. You see Confederate flags, you're driving up the highway, you oh, see yeah. Confederate flags, you know, you you hear people call you boy, right? Um, you hear the, the N-word used um, vigorously and like people talk a little bit and we still have sunset towns, right? Like I was in, when I used to work in education in the Eastern part of North Carolina, you know, I was told like, hey, like this isn't a place you wanna be in after dark. Right. Mm -hmm. As a black man. Right. So like like you you grew up in that environment and I'm from the southeastern southeastern part of North Carolina. So to some extent, I grew up in it as well. But like you really grew up seeing it and feeling it. And I left and moved to D.C. and moved to Charlotte and Dallas and, you know, Maryland. So I've been around, but you stayed here and you fought for the values that you believe in. What made you do that? Like, what made you stay? What made you come back? Because you know, Lord knows, I would call y'all, yo, Whitley, I got a job for you. Come on up to D.C., bro. I got this job. And, like, I try. I try to recruit you for years. So, But what made you stay in a hosky in the eastern part? Um, but before I get to that, because you brought up something that I don't want to go about. You talked about, um, like, some of the things that you hear and see here. One of the things I've seen – because I talked about like being in the workplace with with um, different individuals on staff and things of that nature, but I left uh -huh. out about the patients. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another huge piece to being in this, you know, in this area. I've actually um, had to come in. We 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 around racist people all day. For sure. Very rare that you are face to face with somebody that is a blatant racist and you have to help them. Face to face with a patient and uh, he came in, his hand was broke. And I said, OK, you know, this is at the end of the day, I had to help him. Um, he, he was saying, you know, I need to see a doctor. My hand is broke. And when he put his hand out, he had the swastika oh, wow. tattooed on his hand. And I looked at him and I, and <laughs> back in the day, I was like, OK, we're going to tussle in here. Right. But, you know, I don't care if you reform or whatever. I, <laughs> that means. But um, I'm like, OK, I know what you think about me, but you probably never met a professional black man before. So, right. Um, so we had him, gave him the best customer service he probably ever experienced in his life. Uh-huh. And he turned around and talked to one of my black staff members that was treating him extremely well. And he was, you know, I mean, I'm so thankful that I came here, you know, today to, 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 to get the service from you all. So, um, so when I see little things like that here, I go above and beyond what I would normally do because I don't want them to ever think to reassure what they think about us. Mm-hmm. That's emotion. That's labor though. Right? Like, yeah. like that's, that's labor. You have to go above and beyond. And these are your own words to prove to him, right? That you are not what they think you are that you, you know what I mean? So, but let's just think about all the people across the entire country who look like you, who, who look like us. Hell, I'm a black man too. Right. And like, we have to, to reassure the extra work we have to do to reassure people of our humanity. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we want to see. And I tell people like this podcast is for black people, right? It's for people of color, but I really encourage, I have a lot of white listeners who listen to the podcast and they see different sides of, of, of like the experience, right? Like they see like what their coworkers must go through. And and I think that's so important. What you just illuminated, like you went above and beyond. You intentionally worked exceptionally hard to show and prove to him your humanity. When like you should just, he should just see your humanity just off rip. Off you know rip. what I mean? Yeah. Off rip. He should just let's jump. Let's keep this train going because I really want to hear that question. Because you know, I used to recruit. Man, I used to recruit. I try to recruit all the brothers. I try to recruit all the people. Come to DC. Mm-hmm. Come live this life with me. Uh, and you you resisted and you stayed in a husky you stayed in eastern north carolina tell me why man i it's more spiritual i would say because okay. the, because i tried too i ain't gonna hold you like i was preparing <laughs> i was looking at dc i was putting together okay you know i would put my little budget together how much it's gonna take for me to move my family and everything but at the end of the day i would you know i would sit back and reflect and pray on it and God just just put it on my heart, and then when it when it'd be opportunities that I knew I had in the bag, it was an opportunity to move to cold Michigan. Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah, Michigan. Yeah, for a position, I had it in the bag, and you know, uh, my my mentor he he called me and he was like, I never forget his words when I asked him about this. Um, he was like, "We need you in North Carolina." Mm. I didn't understand at the time. I was like, man, I'm a administrator. I'm trying to, you know, move up and see. It was a COO position. It was a COO yeah, position. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. And he was like, he said, it's a good position, but, but it wasn't, 
he he didn't say you need to stay in North Carolina. Uh-huh. It was we need you in North Carolina. Yeah. So yeah. that said a lot to me. And I was like, okay, um, let me let me stay still. Let me just, you know, listen to to listen, you know, this is God. So let me just listen. And um other things just kept being revealed to me, the work that I needed to to do. Um, even with transportation, you know, we me being uh putting together our trip program where we are transporting uh patients for free they don't have to pay anything and using all black drivers like mm. so i'm the only one in healthcare here that's uh put black people in the community to work to help other minorities in the community get the health care they need for free mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we're putting that together i was like okay this is and that's the first program in north carolina right like that's the first program across the state doing that that transportation yeah. program yeah yeah we're yeah, modeling it and um uh, you know, I've talked to, to, to um, you know, the state has been looking at it. Mandy's been looking at it, Mandy Cohen. Uh, uh-huh. been looking at it, and they're looking to replicate this um, with Medicaid across the state. Hold on. Let me shout out my man. Got the, hold on, man. I, I don't have, I don't have the thing. I'm going to find, you know, I'm going to talk to my sound person. We're going to get some, some horns or something. But burr, 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 burr. <laughs> shout out, man. Shout out to you for that transportation program for putting people to work. I think this is what happens when you have people from the community who understand what the community needs, who are directly and intimately involved in the community in leadership positions, right? Like we see this in Congress sometimes. People in Congress are so far removed from what people mm-hmm. on the ground are experiencing. We're having people arguing right now uh, about the $600 uh, unemployment benefits that just expired. I know a lot of people who lost their job due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And that extra $600 was really helping them out. It was helping them live and survive. Um, and, you know, in members in Congress, they don't have to worry about $600 because their their paychecks are almost $200,000, right? Right. They don't have to worry they don't have to worry about how they're going to feed their families. Have you experienced any of that seeing like like maybe having to talk to individuals as the mayor people are wondering like how are you going to you know maybe like create jobs or how are you going to keep the community safe? And like how have you been able to deal with that because you're a black man from that community? I remember when, you know, just full disclosure, I had the privilege of managing your campaign, so I know the campaign intimately right and i know when we talk one of the things you said is man like i want to make sure that these people are safe that the people who live in a husky like we have drugs we have gangs i want to make sure that they're safe you talk to me because i actually like man why are you running bro and i never forget you said like i'm from here i want to make sure these people are safe people are being killed and like it seems as if people don't care but also you said you wanted to bring businesses to a husky. How have you been able to like share that vision and have people been receptive of it? Or have you seen it a little bit different because you know, you're black and you're the first one. How have you been able, how have people been receptive to your vision is what I'm asking. Um, man, it's, that's, it's, it's, it's two sides of that, that question. Um, okay. On one side, just having someone look like, look like us in the seat as people are more receptive. Um, okay. You know, the way, and, and the way we ran our campaign and everything, people, I can honestly say people wasn't into politics and elections like that before. Right, so, right. And so with that, I'm automatically held to a different standard um, as mayor. So we went from having a mayor that 
never spoke at a program, was never visible. Think about it. Didn't have a Facebook page, wasn't mm-hmm. a program. To now you having somebody that come in that's on all social media platforms, um, that's, you know, you pass his house all the time. You're going to see in the grocery stores. You know him. Mm-hmm. So any little issue, any little problem, I know who I'm going to go to now. Whereas uh, in the past, I didn't even know our mayor existed. So um, and we're from that. But at the at the same time, you have being the first African-American mayor and being a millennial where your decisions is automatically not going to be trusted. Um, your motives is going to be trusted. I mean, it's right. going to be... Um, it's going to be questioned. So uh, there's, uh, I've had to deal with um, selections of appointments I'm making. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, uh, just to give you an example, we have someone here that wanted to be on the board that I appointed and they said, well, I know him, so he's going to appoint me. And the people on that board disagree with that. So they automatically is like, okay, he's young. He's just going to listen to anybody. So I have to, it goes back having to prove yourself, which I hate having to do because nobody should have to do that, of um, why you was elected and why you make sound decisions and um, just being your authentic self. So um, I having to, to deal with that. Uh, but with my, my vision and businesses, um, the, the funny thing is to that is that having to work with a lot of people uh, where you're seeing their true colors come out. And yeah. Um, maybe leading us to another conversation, but um, everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement has impacted the way you do business with some people. Mm, um, mm-hmm. so being the first African-American mayor and taking the stance on Black Lives Matter, um, some individuals kind of stepped away a little bit. They still work mm. with me. They still speak with me, of course, um, as being the mayor, but um, there's a little bit of hesitation. And I knew mm. it would be a gamble with my stance on that, um, but you know, I, I can go to sleep at night. So now that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. I'm, I'm, I remember this, you know, a lot of people know, everybody know, you know, if you went to Winston-Salem state university, uh, when I was SGA president, you, you, you know, that the chancellor and I, we had our run-ins, you know, I was speaking, you were talking about tussling with the gentleman with the swastika, you know, I was ready to tussle. I was ready to shoot a fair one with the chancellor. However, <laughs> however, like I, I never forget um, we were putting pressure on the chancellor about mm-hmm. about like meeting with the kids and things, meeting with the students, and um, we were getting ready to boycott his his installation ceremony. Right, we we're going to boycott. We we're going to picket it. I mean, we were active. We were active, <laughs> and you know, someone came to me and they were like, um, "Chancellor sent an emissary," and he was just like, "Hey, uh, we went out to dinner, and it was like, you know, Chancellor wants you to to not." to not pick it and like lay off him a little bit. And he said to me, you know, if you do this, the chancellor will let you speak at fall, at um, spring graduation. If you don't do this, you're not going to speak at spring graduation. You know, he tried to blackmail me. Yeah. You and I both know I was on the dais and I did not speak. <laughs> I did. I did not speak, and and I, and I didn't speak. And I never forget looking at the gentleman that he sent to to you know share this information with me. And I said I could do that, and I would love to speak. You know, I spoke at fall graduation, but I also realized, and I said the same thing to you. I said if I fold on this, what I believe to be right, I won't be able to look at myself exactly. in the mirror. 
Exactly. I will not be able to look at myself in the mirror, you know, and, and my integrity is not for sale. And so you, I mean, tell us what stance did you take with, with the Black Lives Matter? So like, yeah, what stance did you take? Because that, that was my next question. We've seen protests all over the country, right? Yeah. I've been involved in protests. You know, I've been active. And, yeah. and, and people are really beginning to reimagine what policing looks like in, in America. And you stand at a very instrumental place because you are a mayor. Right. And like the city, the city uh, police, they answer to the city council, the police department answer to the city council and you lead the city council. So what stance have you taken on Black Lives Matter? Like what stance have you taken on the way policing operates? And, and have you had a lot of these policing deaths or, or things like that in your community? Um, in our community, we haven't. Uh, we've been so we've been dealing with crime issues, which I hate. Mm. I, I don't like being associated with Black Lives Matter. It's easy to say, well, Black people are killing each other, um, so why aren't you looking at that? Well, we're addressing that. I'm putting together a crime prevention task force, and what we're going to be doing in regards to that is we're not looking to investigate shootings or investigate gangs. We're looking to provide resources. Mm-hmm. Resources, programming, community involvement, community policing to the community so that because when we, you got to think there's a lot of black on black crimes because those are the places where there's only black people. So of course it's going to be crime against each other. They live in that particular place. Um, But as far as we have so many issues that we, bigger issues that we have to fix here in our community. Correct. Um, One being the diversity in our, in our force. We have a uh, we only have two black people on our entire force here in the Husky, um, and one of those is the chief of police. Mm. Yeah. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So the chief of police is black. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say that a Husky is seventy percent black? Yes. And there are two black people yes. on the entire police force. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's a that's the issue uh, that we have to fix, um, and it's it's. My stance is strong on this, and you know some people are, are contributed just to me being a millennial and being black, but it's from my own experiences. So um, I did a, a, a peaceful pro. I was attended both peaceful protests that we had here in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke at one of them, and there were some officers uh, that I knew, you know, may have been offended by what I said uh, when I say that you know what happened in in New York and places like Florida. Um, in other parts of the country where we've seen these injustices take place can happen here in a high school. Oh, without a shot of a doubt. Yeah, and, um, but there was a little bit of concern with me saying that, um, but when you've seen instances of aggression from law enforcement with your own eyes in your community, um, you can't tell me no different. And so right. I didn't have, growing up, I didn't have a mayor that said, hey, look out for this. I had to experience it for myself. So when I look right. out into the crowds that I'm speaking to and I see young black boys looking at me, I'm, I don't want to set them up for failure and set them out into the community thinking that, hey, I'm free from anything. I'm free from being uh, being followed or uh, being labeled different at law enforcement because there's this thing of bias. You know, mm-hmm. it's a bias that everyone has, especially um, officers. And so I want kids to be careful. I want them to be um, to be prepared 
and be informed of what can happen to them. And, Absolutely. And with that, we have to to prepare our youth. And also we have to, to look at how can we uh, make our force more diverse? How can we involve them in um, community engagements and things of that nature? And so those are some of the things that um, that I get to work on and I'm happy to do and excited about doing in the community. But it's tough when um, when you're trying to do that in a, in a community that don't that don't even recognize it, that it's a problem. So. Bias, I think one of the things about bias and privilege, um, particularly white privilege, mm -hmm. is that the same systems that create the privilege also prevent individuals from seeing it. Um, I had a really good, 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 close white friend, um, and we shared that conversation. And he was just like, hey, tell me. You know, now some people would say, oh man, you know, like it's not on you to educate them. And that is true. But one of the things he would say is like, you know, sometimes I don't see the privilege that I have because the mm -hmm. systems that create it shield me from seeing it. You have to look really hard. And so when he said that to me, that was, that, that empowered me to be, to always call out mm -hmm. what privilege looks like for individuals. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so that was, I think I found that to be very, very powerful. Um, but you, we, we were just talking about police. You're talking about Black Lives Matter. We were talking about how it impacts like everyone. Protests have been all over the country. And I wanted to, to ask you, you said that the police department, you know, town of 70%, only two black police officers. Like, what do you all intend to do to fix that? Like, how do you intend to address that? Because like, you're black, you're a millennial. Like, you know and understand, even though you're the mayor of the city, you could very well be driving around and get stopped for a DWB driving while black. You know, you like you told them like like this could happen to you. So like, are you taking steps to like address that? And if so, like which ones are you taking? It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm gonna tell you a, a, a short, a little small story. Uh, after okay. I got elected, elected in November, December, I was in um, parade. So huge for me. This is the you know first parade in the town of Ahaski where the mayor rides through and he's black. Right. Um, so hold on, let me stop you real quick. Let me just give another little bam, 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 bam. <laughs> shout out to the first black like people don't understand how important that is. Yeah. Like like people don't understand how important that is. Like we see Barack Obama in, in, in DC, right? First black president, but people don't know Barack, bro. You know, they don't see him, they've never you know, like they know you. Right. They know you. You remember that picture of that kid in the White House? He's bending over and the kid is touching President Obama's hair to see mm -hmm. that his hair is just like it. Yep. yep. Bro, you are a Hoskies Barack Obama. You are Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> I just want to make sure like no like I'm I feel like I'm um I'm Nori right now. I feel like I'm Nori. <laughs> I feel like I'm Nori shining it out because now nah, we want to like like when you're in the midst of things and you're doing things like you don't get it, bro. So I right. always want to make sure I give you those flowers because that's man, that's major, bro. Like that is exceptionally major. So continuously big shout out to you for like passing that baton because someone's going to come behind you and they're going to say, I can do it now yeah. because I saw Waylene White do it. You know, they're going to say, they're not going to say that I can hoop because I know that Waylene's line brother Terrell used to give him buckets, but they're <laughs> going to be able to say that like I can become mayor of Oscar <laughs> and that's important, but go ahead though. Go ahead. You said, so it's short story. Go ahead. Give us a story. Yeah. So, so do the parade. Uh, my daughter have a, she has a, a dance. So, um, run down to Wilmington, see her dance, come back. And my wife leaves her, she drops her phone in the vehicle we rode in. 
So we're calling the lady um, to find out if the phone is in the vehicle. She's like, yeah, yes, yeah, here, it's at my house. Come, um, come get it. So I'm driving at night, and as I'm pulling into her driveway, I'm getting stopped. Oh, wow. Uh, state trooper stops me, and of course, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. The lady is, you know, she's just a white woman. I hope they're not thinking I'm coming here to rob her. So I get out the car slow, and I have, you know, have my hands out. And she comes out of the house and she has a newspaper with me on the front for me being, you know, I, the election just happened. I just got sworn in. Uh-huh. So she already is privy to what can happen. Right. So she comes out with the newspaper and like, here's your newspaper that you um, that you asked for. And I was like, I didn't ask for this. Oh, she's trying to save you. Bro. Yeah. To where the officer can see, hey, I know him. Look, he's on the front page. He's OK. Uh-huh. He's like, um, well, I was just gonna tell you about your tail light. Have a good day. Oh and and she just looked at me and she just just shook her head. And I'm just like, you know, this, yeah, this is real. You could have she literally could have saved your life, bro. Yeah, yeah. Anything could have happened, and and she said, you know, I just wanted to um I thought he may, I saw him pulling you over, and I thought he may need, I thought this could help you for him to see who you were. Mm. And you know, any you know that that's and no one else can benefit from that, right? You know that doesn't happen on a regular where somebody can um, can have reassurance for them interacting with the police. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just said all that to say that you know, being married, man, I'm not exempt at all. (laughs) You know, you know, know, I tell people all the time, bro. They they kill. We talk about like respectability politics, right? Like, oh. Pull your pants up. Oh, wear a shirt and tie. Oh, keep yeah. a neat haircut. Trim your beard. Let me explain something to you. They killed Dr. King in a suit. That's a fact. He had on a suit. That's a Malcolm fact. X had on a suit. Like, respectability will not save us. What The only thing that will save us is reimagining the system and working to upend systemic racism and oppression. Mm-hmm. Like that. Like Like, that is it. But kudos, shout out to that woman who who did that because she yeah. saved she saved your life. Shout out, major shout out to her. So, I, speaking of, of of white women and and and, I want to ask the question that I ask all the people. You know, we've had allies show up, and allies have been amazing. But what would you say to them? You know, like I said, this Black Work Experience podcast is geared towards Black people, but we have a lot of white friends um, who listen in, and so. For those white friends who listen and figure out how they can do better, how they can be an ally, um, what would you suggest that white people do um, to help black people with systemic racism, with um, oppression, you know, um, especially in a white in a workplace when you're dealing with microaggressions and racism? And, mm-hmm. and we think about what happened with um, Amy Cooper in 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 New York in the park. Right. When she saw that gentleman and she called the police. Cause he told her to put her dog on a leash. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm going to call the police and tell them there's a white man. I mean, a black man that's menacing and threatening me. We see that all the time in the workplace, except for it may, it may not be as overt, right? Like we right. see them individuals, maybe in the boardroom say, Oh, this person isn't ready for this job. Let's give it to someone else. Or, or we see them when they go to the board or they go over your head and go talk to the leader of the organization or maybe call you intimidating or, or, or do any things. Like with black women, they say the angry black woman. What what would you say to white women, white people who are listening to this podcast and want to do better at work? How could they be better allies? What would you say? 
Don't be silent. Mm. Uh, don't be silent and recognize recognize your privilege and use it for use it to take action. Um, mm-hmm. I have I have a white ally and um, we have these conversations. She asks questions. You know, I don't feel like you have to. Um, it's okay to ask questions and to educate yourself. Right. So, um, you know, she, she asks questions and if she's going to make a statement or, um, if she feels a certain way, we have that safe space to where we can have open dialogue and, and have that insight. Um, and, and she uses that for policy changes, for implementation. Um, when we work around equity, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, she takes the discussions and things that we spoke about and she speaks out against that. So I've seen it work tremendously. There are some things that just being a black man in an organization, I'm not going to be able to change. Never will. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to take an ally to, to be able to do that. Um, so uh, just just be brave and, and, and be accountable and not be afraid to speak out. Because I've seen so many people and I've been in meetings and I feel a way and they'll know it. And after say, you know, I didn't say nothing, but I agree with you. And mm. it's not doing anything to say it now. You didn't stand up when I needed you to. So mm. yeah, so take taking the stand and just um and being brave is, is what's needed right now. We need more allies. And um I think that now more people are speaking out, more people are having these conversations. So uh it's time to move past conversation into actual um actual action that's making things happen. I think that I think that that is what you just said those three words like don't be silent, right? Mm-hmm. Use your use your voice. Mm-hmm. Those like like there are signs that protest that that read and speak, you know, white silence is violence. Because when right. they don't use their voice, when 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 they when they refrain from from speaking up, then bad things happen, right? So that is that is amazing. Now I can't I can't in good conscience have you say that and then not say this quote by by audrey lord that really in my opinion um it's just it's just amazing right and it is it is it's this quote that reads when we speak we are afraid our words will not be heard or welcome but when we are silent we are still afraid so it is better to speak Mm. I just shout out to Audrey Lord because I, 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 someone exposed me to that quote one time, and I use that when I talk to like my white friends and white compadres who want to who want to speak up but are afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing. Like, use your voice. It's always better to speak. It's always better to use your voice. So we talked about what you'll say to, to to white people who who can be allies. Now, in my opinion, some of the most important things, words of advice, words of wisdom. What will you say? What are the words of wisdom for Wailing White coming to the little black boy, the little brown boy, the little black girl, the little brown girl who's coming behind you? What words of advice do you say to them, to you lead to them who who want to get involved and, you know, they may be fighting to make a name for themselves or, or, or be one of the few people of color at their organization? What advice do you have for them to hang in there? Definitely stay true to yourself. Stay true to yourself. There's going to be times where uh, you will be forced and put in positions to where you'll you can easily 
um, uh, be in a position to where you have to put on a mask and be someone else and, um, and have to jeopardize who you are as an individual, um, mm-hmm. but just stay authentic, be yourself. One of the things that you said earlier is, is, um, was real, real important to me and dear, dear to my heart. You said, you know, uh-huh. if you wear a dress or having to stay clean shaven and wear a suit and things of that nature. And a lot of people feel like, well, I have to be as close to being white to be professional or to be accepted, but just stay true to yourself and true to, um, your own thoughts, your values. And as long as you can go to sleep at night, knowing that you, that, that you did all you can do to stay true to yourself is, is going to lead you, um, into the right direction. So I would say that to anyone, that's something that I do that I practice each and every day. Um, every discussion with every decision that I have to make at the end of the day, am I going to be able to go to sleep knowing that I did what's best for myself and my conscience? So, I think what you just said is real. Stay true to yourself. So to all the people who are listening, um, all the, the young individuals who have dreams out there of not necessarily being the mayor of their city, but like starting a business of like being like moving up in your company, the people who wake up every day, put on their clothes, go to work and see no one who looks like them. Stay true to yourself. Yeah. Tokenism is real. <laughs> Tokenism is real. Tokenism is real. They it's, it's being, I've seen it, you know, being voluntold. So, you know, I want to volunteer you this, but I'm actually telling you to do this and being in those positions just because you're black. So yeah. in these professional settings, you know, it's not always, you can be as smart as you can, but sometimes you're going to be put in positions just because you're a man, just because you're black. And, um, and, and, that is not always, you know, it's not always right. And it's not always um, what's needed at the time. But even in those instances, you know, staying true is going to get you through it. That's real. Um, Bishop Freddie Haynes, for those of you who live in Dallas, Texas, or or, or know the south, southwestern part of the country, um, Bishop Freddie Haynes is a major, major, you know, has a mega church down there. Amazing guy. Well, I'll never forget I was at... Um, I was at a, a National Urban League meeting in Dallas, Texas, and he came and spoke. And he he looked at the crowd and he admonished us to. He said, "I know that we have people who work at you know um, 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 uh, like these top consulting firms. You're like leaders. You know, you got uh, Price Waterhouse and Cooper, PwC, Ernst and Young. All these people, National Urban League. It was a young professionals group. So a lot of us were professionals. And he told us. He said he." He admonished us. He charged us. He said, when you walk in that door, you may be the only one. Mm -hmm. He said, but your charge is to wedge yourself in the door. Be a wedge and refuse to let that door close without pulling more people who look like you Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like a lot of people who, who listen to this podcast, I look at our analytics, like they're young professionals. Um, um, but I want you all to know that, like, you don't have to be the only one. Find a way to pull people who look like you through the door. I've always listened to that. And I've mm-hmm. always been reminded as I've moved up into leadership roles and organizations and been able to hire people. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand that we don't get the same access to opportunities that other people do. That's the fact. 
Like we don't get access to leadership roles. Like, you know, you, so when you look at jobs, you know, people ask for supervisory experience. You know that a lot of black people get looked over for supervisory roles, right? So if we don't give them those opportunities and provide opportunities for people who may not always have it at their front door, who will? So you heard it from you heard it from Wayleen White, mayor of a Husky healthcare administrator, MBA, Winston-Salem State University, Alpha, all around my brother from another mother. Um, thank you for joining the podcast, man. Thank you for saying hanging in here, sharing these words of wisdom. And I can't say anything else, brother. Anything else you'd like to say to the people? Uh man, I think I think you covered it all. Um it's been a wonderful time. I, I enjoyed this. Uh, definitely thank you for the space for being able to share this opportunity to, to tell a little bit about my community. You know, nobody ever hears about a Husky. You know? <laughs> when I was even at Winston Silver State, people would say, you know, what's your name? I'd be like, Wayleen, where are you from? A Husky? I'm like, what? I never heard an, a name or a town like this. So thank you for this platform for, for being able to, to share our story um, and, and be able to talk about talk about the experience. This is a, a wonderful podcast. And um, I just want to thank you for the time, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. No problem. You have a good one and you all stay blessed. Thanks for listening to the Black Workers Experience podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to hear more from me, follow me on IG at BWE Pod or Twitter at BWE Podcast. Thanks, you all. Domino, domino, only spot a few blacks I had to. Domino, domino, only spot a few blacks I had to.